Choose Linux, episode 10, for May 30th, 2019. Hello and welcome to the show that captures the excitement of discovering Linux. I'm Joe. And I'm Jason. And here we are for episode 10. And to celebrate double figures, you've gone and done it, haven't you? You've only gone and installed Arch. By the way, I installed Arch. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about uh, System76 Oryx Pro later, but yeah, let's start with Arch Linux. So I suppose the first question, was it as painful as you expected? I think the the statements about Arch being insanely difficult to install are exaggerated. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's not insanely difficult. It's just rather time-consuming and requires you to follow instructions quite carefully. I'd always viewed installing Arch as my end game. You know, I've leveled up. I'm, you know, level 1,000. And uh, (laughs) I don't know. And I could, you know, install Arch. It'd be a breeze, get it done in like 20 minutes, you know, blindfolded and... You know, that was the uh, the last challenge, maybe, that that I thought I would be undertaking. Um, but I just I just had the itch. I really just had the itch. And I wanted to see what all the fuss was about. And I wanted to see really how difficult it was. And if it's true, what, what so many people have told me, that you really do learn a lot about your hardware and, and the operating system in the process. Yeah, because... If you follow the Arch Wiki installation guide, it does assume quite a lot of knowledge. Little things like uncomment the locale that you need, for example, which if you're brand new to it, you wouldn't necessarily know that, okay, so you therefore have to nano that file and then go down and delete that hashtag, (laughs) you know, before the thing. Right. Fortunately, I, I knew at least how to, you know, fire up nano and how to edit within nano and, you know, save, exit out, etc. But they do, you're right, they do assume a lot. And as comprehensive as that installation guide is, it, it says things like, now it's time to partition your drive. And then and that's it. It's like, here's, you know, here's our recommended partition schemes. But it doesn't actually say, run this command to do it. And so that links out to an entirely separate guide. And then your wireless uh, network detection links out to a separate guide and where you have, you know, WEP and WPA and WPA2 and all of these just, it just, it just expands out and keeps expanding. And by the end of it, I think I had about nine or 10 ArchWiki tabs open. But I have to say, this is probably the best documentation I've ever seen in the Linux world. Yeah, the ArchWiki is famous for being the best documentation. Often, if you've got a problem with something else in Linux on a different distro, you will end up at the ArchWiki. Like any XFCE problems I've ever had, I've just been reading this thing, oh, hang on, I'm at the ArchWiki. So yeah, it is comprehensive, to say the least. I would consider using Arch partially because of the the exhaustive documentation that they have. Well, yeah, because if anything goes wrong, you're not just Googling randomly. You can just go to that wiki and generally find what you need. So as far as the actual installation goes, I, I want to get into the weeds a little bit, but I'll tell you, I'll kind of sum up my installation experience. I spent the morning, probably a total of four or five hours, installing it multiple times. <laughs> the first try was a complete failure, and that took about two hours or so, because 
I forgot to actually mount my root partition. Uh. So yeah, I had it all partitioned correctly, but I forgot to mount it. And so once it started pulling in packages, I got this error that totally baffled me. It um, The error said expected download size exceeded, and then it said failed writing body. And so this is because you hadn't mounted the partition and you hadn't rooted into it. Exactly. Right. So I got I got that far the first time and I thought, okay, all right, no problem. Let me just start fresh. I know I know I could have picked it up and resumed, right? But I just wanted to try to nail it from start to finish. Um so the second time I successfully booted into a GNOME desktop environment with absolutely no applications. <laughs> <laughs> not a network manager, not a terminal, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Wow. So I think that when I installed the GNOME package, I just installed the GNOME shell. Instead of, with Arch, you can just hit enter and it defaults to all of the packages within that group. And I wasn't doing that. I was just picking and choosing. So I think I messed that up. But so, all right, fine. Starting over again. The third try, I actually successfully booted into an XFCE desktop with networking and with apps, and everything seemed to be working. The only real weirdness that I stumbled across was I was on Twitter, and I couldn't post any tweets if I had an image or video attached. I would guess that that might be something to do with file permissions, is all I can Uh, say. like Maybe you didn't properly own your home directory where those images were. Because maybe it would get to the point where you'd select that image, but then trying to upload it, there'd be a permissions issue and it would fail there. Yeah, it was during the upload. It would just say, "Upload uploading of media failed. Please try again later. And uh, I confirmed that, you know, other devices, it was working fine. So it wasn't a, a Twitter side issue, but minor detail, right? And it was really satisfying to actually go through that entire process. But I want to talk about the process because I think that some of it's actually unnecessarily difficult. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you there. <laughs> what I love about it is five minutes into this process, I had already learned how to set up my Wi-Fi from the command line, right? I had learned the, the commands to see, I think it's LSPCI, to you know, pick up what your wire, what wireless module is loaded and, and all of that stuff, how to um, activate the Wi-Fi right? It would, whether it's up or down. So I went through that entire path. You know, I had the wireless networking page of ArchWiki open, and I was going through all of that, identifying it. Okay. It's called WLP60S0, not WLAN0, which Arch, uh, the ArchWiki said it would normally be called. But that's fine. So, you know, activate the, the Wi-Fi, ensure that the driver's loaded, Try to connect to my phone's hotspot via the command line. It just kept unraveling, Joe. And then I was reading about WPA supplicant because I have a you know WPA protection on it. And I was just going into the weeds so, so deep. And it didn't work. And then someone on Twitter says, why don't you just type Wi-Fi-menu when you load up the, the ISO? <laughs> I was like, okay. So like the first thing I did, booted up the the ISO, and typed Wi-Fi-menu. It scanned for networks. I chose it. I typed in my password. Done. 
Wow, you've just taught me something there because I've always had to do it with the WPA supplicant and all that stuff. I saw no mention of that anywhere in the Arch documentation. Yeah. That was literally it. Wi-Fi dash menu. And it brings up like this, you know, this textile. Um, like a cursive style thing, like the blue screen with the... Yeah, cursive. There you go. Yeah. Like a cursive style blue and gray screen. Yeah. Yeah. And you choose your network. You hit enter. You save the profile. Name it whatever you want. Type your password and you're done. And then you start installing. Right, because when I installed this, bear in mind I've not installed Arch for at least four or five years because I'm just too lazy. I kind of went through that, did it right, yeah, check that off the list. Uh, this time I was like, read about the Wi-Fi stuff, I just can't be bothered to do all that. Ethernet jack, done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that that would have been much easier. Um, the only the only laptop I have that uh, has an Ethernet port is my New Works Pro. And I was not going to mess up my Pop! OS installation. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> was not, I'm not even going to touch it. But I guess the moral of the story is I learned how to do all that. And I learned that behind the scenes stuff of what's happening when you install Ubuntu or Mint or, you know, what are the steps that the, that is happening? Yeah, well, that's kind of the point of it. There's, there's a few different points to watch as far as I'm concerned. One is the satisfaction of actually doing it in the first place and just being able to do it and the kind of cred that you give yourself for that. The second is learning about how a Linux system goes together. Um, and there are more in-depth ways to do that, like Gentoo, but Arch is a pretty good start. And then the third, and probably most important one, is the configurability. Oh, and then the fourth one is that everything's up to date all the time. Right, right. But there are a lot of other, other rolling release distros. Well, that's true, yeah. But that configurability, making it exactly how you want it, is, for me, the main point of Arch, really. If you install something like Ubuntu or Fedora, you can then configure it to some extent. But with Arch, it's like it's like build your own distro almost. Yeah, for better or for worse. Yeah, if you're a new if you're new like me and you you know you 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 fire up, you log into GNOME and you have absolutely no apps to work with. Yeah. So now you've got it installed and you've got XFC working and networking all of that. Is it going to stick around? Are you going to actually use it? Are you going to put it on one of your more capable systems, like um, one of your NUX or whatever? I think I might actually put it on one of my NUX. Yeah, um, because this. This XPS, this older XPS 13 that I have is getting a little bit uh, old and slow. <laughs> and I'd really love to see that lean Arch plus XFCE combo all customized. But I have, a, I have so much to learn. I know just enough to be slightly dangerous with Pac-Man. And I have been living in the Arch wiki, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Because I'm learning a hell of a lot, just just absorbing those pages and looking for you know new topics as I come across new problems. Yeah. Do you think you're going to be able to apply a lot of that knowledge to other distros as well? Then not in terms of the package manager, but but probably yes, in terms of troubleshooting, because so much of that troubleshooting is just basic CLI stuff that's universal across all the distros. Yeah. So if I have a, a problem with my installation or I have a problem with a Wi-Fi module or a drive not working properly, you know, I, I, I'm starting to just be slightly familiar with the necessary command line tools to tackle those, those problems. I was amazed to learn about Chirrut 
I had no idea this existed. I thought that if I messed up the installation, I was screwed. Ah, wow, but not so at all. Yeah, you can just get in and do what you want. Yeah, not so at all. So all I had to do, uh, and the reason I ended up doing the, the uh, Chirut path was that when I got into GNOME, with the, that was all screwed up, right? I had no, I had no networking, so I couldn't install anything. And I didn't know if I had the proper tools installed to be able to enable the wireless. But what I ended up learning through uh, some people on Twitter was that I could just boot back into the live ISO, mount the root partition, right? And then chroot into that, throw the Wi-Fi menu command in there, get connected, and then download like Network Manager or whatever the... Um, the software was that was required to get GNOME kind of back into working order. That was an amazing discovery. That was an exciting discovery. I also tried a script that I found on GitHub. It's just called Arch Linux install script. Okay, that seems pretty self-explanatory then. And it's just a matter of booting up the Arch ISO and then um, pulling it down with curl, pulling down the script with curl, and editing the configuration file for the script itself. And what this script does is pretty much everything step by step. You have your partitioning and by default, you don't you don't even have to mess with the partitioning options. Um, by default, it will use LVM and it will blow out your whole drive by default. And then you can also indicate if you want, you know, ext4 or butterfs or xfs, etc and how big you want your swap size. And all you do is you just you just uncomment the exc- exclamation points next to each option for what you want in this script. So all the defaults are pretty pretty sane as far as I can tell, and then you can set your, you know, your time zones, your root password, your username and user password, all of your you can choose your desktop environment. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but you, but you get the idea. You can every option that is contained within the Arch Linux ISO installer is here, but it's all automated and it's pretty sweet. So you spend about five minutes, you know, saying, "Oh no, I want Firefox, and you know, I definitely want XFCE, and I want uh, this AUR environment. I think it's called Yay. This is the one that I chose." But yeah, and then you just sit back for like an hour while it downloads and installs everything. That sounds too easy, though. If you're going to do that, why don't you just use Manjaro? I would have said Antigos, but obviously that is going away soon. Yeah, yeah. And that's what actually led me to to start playing with Arch in the first place, was, was hearing about that distro going away, which was a shame because I really, so many people had recommended it to me and I just didn't make the time to to experience it. But you're right. I mean, Manjaro is sort of, that is the easy button for Arch. Yeah, but it's not pure Arch, and it is different enough, I think, to kind of warrant doing it a different way if you want to have a pure Arch experience. But I would say to people, what I always say to people, if you want to try out Arch and get an idea and a feel for Pac-Man and stuff, then Manjaro is a very good start because it's so polished, it's so easy to get installed. It's basically as easy as Ubuntu to install or Fedora. So get that installed, check it out, then have a dig around in the command line. And then once you get comfortable with the whole Pac-Man thing and the whole Arch underlying system, then go for an Arch install. 
Um, unless you've got a laptop that you can just completely blow away the disk and it just doesn't matter and you can have four or five attempts if you need to and stuff like that and you want to learn about it, then just go for Arch because it really is a case of just reading the instructions carefully and following them. It's almost like a comprehension exercise. Like I remember at school in English class, we used to have to read this text and then put it into our own words. And you have to fully understand what you are reading. Otherwise, just one little missed step and just the whole thing won't work. And that happened to me the other day when I installed this. The first time I missed one step out, and then it just wouldn't work at all. I couldn't log in, and so I just had to just nuke and pave. <laughs> and that's because I was rushing. And you just you can't rush with this. You need to, until you know what you're doing, until you've done it regularly and can just remember all the commands and everything, it's just a case of read that documentation and follow it. Oh, and two tips from me. Do this in the morning, right after you've had coffee, so that you're fresh and not tired. And tip number two, at the bottom of the ArchWiki installation guide, is a link out to installing your bootloader. Don't skip that. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you will have to cheroot into the installation and fix it like I did. So I had I had multiple problems, but the cool thing was they were all solvable problems with very little research. Yeah. I would say uh, another pro tip, um, if you do mess up the bootloader installation, you don't have to cheroot into it and sort it out properly. You can just use boot repair which is, um, I think there is an actual live disk image of it, but what I always do is just use a, a Zubuntu live USB, boot into that, connect to the network, add a PPA, install the boot repair, and then run boot repair, and then that just fixes. It's just magic, as far as I'm concerned. It's never failed me. So distro agnostic, pretty much? I think so, yeah. I, I just know how to add the PPA and everything. Um, uh, but uh, well, in terms of what it will discover, yeah. I mean, it's it's just using OS Prober, basically. It just finds all of the installed operating systems and just writes a sensible grub file, oh, config, cool. and, yeah, boot repair. If you've ever got any problems, like, if, for example, if you... Um, if you've got Linux installed, but then you install Windows on a different partition, that will just wipe the whole master boot record and will just it just won't see Linux anymore. And so the easiest thing to do is boot repair and then it just fixes it. So all in all then, it sounds like it was a good learning experience. You probably will continue to use it. You will install it again. And you're glad that you did it then. I would say those are all true statements. I, and I'm also, I'm really hell-bent on playing more with XFCE. And I think that Arch might be a suitable candidate for that. I just I just want to see how fast and lean I can get one of my systems. <laughs> yeah. Well, Arch is certainly fast and lean. So, yeah, seems like a good candidate. All right. Well, you mentioned the Oryx Pro there, and I mentioned it at the top. So this is your newest acquisition. So tell me about it then. This is from System76. Yeah, this is my first System76 machine. And it made its long six-week journey from Denver to Croatia safely. Most of that six weeks was probably sitting in customs in Zagreb. <laughs> exactly, exactly. While the while uh, UPS and System seventy six ironed some things out. Well, I guess let's let's start with the unboxing experience. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was fun. You you open it up and it's like this whimsical 
pencil drawn scene of these, you know, cartoony looking spaceships taking off in this city in the background that looks a lot like that System 76 um, Pop! OS wallpaper. That's the default wallpaper with that that Sentinel guy. It looks a lot like that. And then there's little like astronaut guys and girls like, hanging by strings in, in, in the sky. And it's just this real fun presentation as you open the box. And they give you a, uh, a letter and a bunch of stickers. And the packaging is really minimal, which I appreciate. It's just a little bit of cardboard and some plastic, like a plastic casing that, that protects the, the actual machine. But the system itself, this is this is a bit of a beast. So I'll tell you exactly what my system specs are. It's Pop! OS 18.10, it's 19.04, of course, released while this thing was in transit. So it did, it did ship with 18.10, but now they do ship with 19.04. Uh, we have an 8 gigabyte RTX 2070 from NVIDIA, a 16.1 inch 1080p display, which we're going to talk about a little bit more in depth, 16 gigs of DDR4 RAM at 3000 megahertz, which is a pretty decent speed for laptops these days. Uh, it's got a 500 gigabyte NVMe Pro drive a one terabyte uh, solid state hybrid drive for deep storage. So not a, not a spinning mechanical drive, but one of those hybrid drives. And all of that was roughly 2,300 US. Which is quite a lot of money, but I suppose you get a lot of machine for it. You do, and that's, that's there's a gentle way to say this and a, and a very direct way to say this, but compared to other Linux PC manufacturers, you get considerably more bang for your buck with System76, considerably more. Yeah, and the upgrade options are not ridiculously overpriced either, like we have seen before with other manufacturers. No, they're really fair. They're very fair. And there's plenty of connectivity here. I'm looking on the website now. You've got all sorts of ports, your HDMI and DisplayPort, some USB Cs. I think they look like Thunderbolt to me. They are, they are, yep. Some USB As. A headphone jack, Ethernet, SD card. So this is, um, yeah, th- th- this is not one of these modern ones with our own USB C. No, the the I/O is fantastic. You know, I I do wish that it charged via USB C, but I understand that it needs a lot more juice than that because it does have the uh, the six core. Oh, I didn't even mention that. I'm sorry. It has the uh, the Intel ninth gen six core i seven. So. It's. I think. I believe it's the same as the new ThinkPad X1 Extreme, and on top of that, it has a RTX 2070 GPU. So it does need some juice from the wall that the USB C can't supply. But that being said, I mean you can connect a buttload of displays externally. There's just enough connectivity. And I like the fact that it's not a big bulky brick, but you still have stuff like the the Ethernet port there. I, I don't want to give it a full review because I've only had it for a few days, but I, I just wanted to go over mostly pros, but also some some cons that I wasn't really expecting. The touchpad's really nice, very very smooth, very responsive, just just big enough, and it's got it's like this charcoal black. The keyboard is amazing. If you are someone who um, is really attached to your XPS 13, you'll notice that the key caps are just, I don't know, a millimeter or two millimeters narrower 
So it does take a little, a little getting used to just kind of reshifting your, your muscle memory, but they're so comfortable to type on. I mean, there, there's great travel. They feel great. And it's just, it's just an awesome keyboard. It's, I would say it's just under the, the quality and comfort of a ThinkPad keyboard. Oh, wow. Cause I think, I think those are, ThinkPad keyboards are unmatched. I mean, they're the best. This is, this is right underneath. And it's, it's something that unlike, you know, a, a MacBook Pro or even the, uh, the Purism Librem 15 or many, many other laptops, I can happily sit here and type on this all day. And it's backlit and it has, uh, I think, seven different colors that you can choose between for your uh, keyboard backlighting, which I'm, uh, you know, I like my, I like a little bit of bling. I don't need a lot of bling, but I like a little bit. The display itself is super bright. It will, it will blind you if you're in like a dark cafe and I've used it in direct sunlight. We miraculously had one full day of direct sunlight here in the last three weeks. So <laughs> yeah, I used it outside all day and it was perfectly fine in, in the sunlight. Now let, let's get to a couple things that are less than stellar with the Oryx Pro. The first one is a little bit of light bleed coming from the top right and left corners of the display. So you'll notice that if the screen brightness is, you know, medium to high strength, and if you have a dark background or you're watching a, a movie that has a dark scene in it, you'll you'll kind of see those little spots bleeding out just a little bit. And I wish that wasn't there. Yeah, for a $2,300 machine, you don't really want to see stuff like that, do you? No. Um, and then just some weirdness with the software. And I, I don't know why. For example, when I turn off Wi-Fi, the Wi-Fi icon doesn't change. I saw you tweeting about that. Yeah, that's a bit weird. That's probably just a bug in Pop! OS. Yeah, it might just be a bug in Pop! OS. And that's, that's not really a big deal. But you know what I did want to point out about the display? And I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't do this earlier. It's at 144 hertz. Oh, right. So it's this is aimed at gamers then. It's Oh, it's definitely aimed at gamers. But it's also just so freaking smooth. You know how many systems I've installed Pop! OS onto, like every single one I have. And I have never seen the animations and, and the workspace switching. I've never seen any of that look so fluid as it does on the Oryx Pro. So I don't know if there's some some secret sauce in there that that is a good argument for buying a laptop that is made explicitly to run a Linux distro, but it really is a joy. Like it's a pop OS is a joy to use on this thing. And my other, my other small complaint about the Oryx pro is the, um, the speakers are just not as rich and full as I would want from a, a 16 inch laptop. There's sometimes like if I'm sitting out on the balcony and there's some traffic going by, I, I struggle to listen to even a podcast with these speakers because they just aren't rich enough and they don't carry far enough. I don't know. I, I guess with, with any laptop this size with, with premium specs, I just want better audio. Yeah, I think that's not unreasonable because we are talking about a premium product here, aren't we? We're talking about, you know, this is not some cheap thing. This is a, a high-end machine with a high-end price tag. And so you'd expect things like that light bleed and the speakers to be mm -hmm. just better, really. 
but you know, from a from a build quality point of view, uh, the chassis, you know, it's all all aluminum. It's really sturdy. It's beautiful to look at. Well, I must say, I'm rather envious of this machine of yours because it is pretty much as powerful as my fairly powerful desktop. So. Well, and much more so graphics-wise, not that I ever play any games, but yeah. So that all sounds pretty cool. I look forward to reading your full review of it, which presumably is not going to come yet. You're going to have to spend some time with it. Yeah, I'm going to really, really break it in with um, with some Pharonix benchmarking and some gaming and, you know, use it as my daily driver instead of, okay, I spent 72 hours with it. Let's write up a permanent review. Yeah. I want people to know what this feels like as they're, as the only machine that they're using. Yeah. All right, well, we'd better get out of here, but uh, remember you can go to choose slash subscribe to get all the future episodes, and you can go to choose slash contact if you want to get in touch with us. And you can also talk to us on Twitter. I am at KillYourFM. And I'm at Joe Ressington. We'll be back in two weeks with more exciting discoveries. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.